God is good. Turn in your Bibles tonight to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. And uh, we're, we're still waiting on a switch, so I'm going to be using some hand signals. Hopefully they won't be too obtrusive. Uh, I've got my setup here, and Lisa's going to have to do y'alls from back there. So <laughs> for the PowerPoint tonight. I want to share with you as, as we begin tonight's study, you know, one of the things that, that I think is so important for us to realize is that in the life of believers, faith is not an elective course, okay? Faith is not something you can do without or maybe have or not have. Faith isn't something that when you wake up in the morning, well, I really don't need it today because I've got my day mapped out. Faith is the anchor, Scripture says, of our soul. It's that hope that we have in Jesus. And as we begin Joshua chapter 4, it's kind of an odd chapter. It's kind of a strange chapter. It's a little bit of a weird chapter, one might say, because it seemingly is the story of a bunch of folks gathering some rocks and then making some piles with them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about Scripture and I think about really exciting spiritual things, um, rock piling's not one of the things that comes to mind. It just isn't. But there is some wonderful spiritual instruction for us tonight here in chapter 4. And, and as we begin to study the chapter, I would begin with a little bit of a story for you. Most of you, if you've not been there, have likely seen pictures of Niagara Falls, especially Horseshoe Falls. There's actually two falls. There's Horseshoe Falls, which is the furthest up the river, and there's the American Falls, which is a little bit further down the river. But the one that you're likely familiar with, the Horseshoe Falls, uh, dead in the middle of the mainstream of the Niagara River. Part of it branches off and dumps off a cliff a little further down the river. Those are the American Falls. They're only on the American side, as you might gather from the name, the American Falls. But what you don't really see in most photos is, is what lies directly above the river. And if you go to Google Maps, if you don't have time to go to the Niagara River in New York, you, you can go to Google Maps and look at the aerial view. And as you look at the aerial view, you're going to find that not very far from the top of the falls, just a, a few hundred feet, there's a pretty good series of rapids. And just beyond that, it looks almost like a lake. And if you were traveling down the Niagara River, not very far above the falls, uh, you might be tempted to believe that you're on a lake. And in fact, boating is allowed up there. But there's an interesting thing that is on a bridge, a pedestrian bridge, where the Welland River dumps into the Niagara on the Canadian side. There's also a canal there that the ships who use the Niagara River actually go around Niagara Falls by using the canal. But as the Welland River dumps in, right there at the place where the water begins to flow into the Niagara, there's actually a pedestrian bridge, and it goes out into the Niagara a little bit, and then along the face of the Welland River. And on the bridge, it says this, Do you have an anchor? And right below it, do you know how to use it? And here's why. Because if you make that left turn coming out of the Welland River and you begin to head downstream, for about 200 yards, it looks like a lake. And then it's rapids. And then a few hundred yards further down, bink, over the Niagara Falls you'd go. And when you get to the rapids, it's too late to buy an anchor. You get the picture? When you need something, it's not the time to go looking for it. You, you can't be out in the middle of the desert and then figure out, man, I sure wish I had some water. You, you, if you're a skier like our family is, you're flying down some mountain someplace. Gee, I wish I had sharpened my skis because this is kind of icy. By then you're sucking trees. Okay, it, It's not that time. Faith is like that. You better have it before you need it, and you better know how to use it before you need it. 
And that's the story of tonight's passage. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time tonight in your word. And we pray that we draw deeply from the well of your spirit. Lord, help us to possess that faith that can move mountains. Lord, we lift up our brother Robert to you. God, would you put your seal upon his life? God, you can do anything. There is nothing your word declares that is impossible for you. And Lord, we desperately need Christians in our state house. Lord, we desperately need men and women of godly character to stand up and say enough is enough to the runaway tide of evil. And so, Lord, we need faith to believe because it doesn't look possible. Help us to believe. Help us to act. Help us to have our anchor firm in the heavens, Lord, as Hebrews 6 says, both sure and steadfast. God, we know that you can do what we can't. And so, God, tonight, help us to receive from your word that power that we need to have faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So life is like that. You know, you can be traveling down the placid river of joy and life, and then all of a sudden, how many of you had rapids this week? I went through three sets, went over. Well, I was swimming most of the time, actually, from the rapids. Yeah. How many of you get to pick when rapids come into your life? I noticed no hands went up. Strange. Yeah, you don't, do you? You don't get to pick when something happens in your life that requires you have more faith than you thought you had. And so that's the story tonight, because our faith is the witness that we have in this world that people can see. You see, if we put enough human effort to it, we can build pyramids, amen? Put enough human effort into it, we can damn the mighty Colorado, amen? You ever, you ever seen that dam? It's a pretty amazing feat of engineering. If we put our mind to it, we can build the Burj Al Dubai towers. The thing's a half mile tall and stuck in sand. We're pretty creative. We're pretty smart. But can I tell you, we run out of human power pretty much every day. And if you don't have faith, When your human power runs out, you're in trouble. And the good news is for the body of Christ that when we exercise that faith and we give God credit for the exercising of that faith and we don't take credit for what he has done, then he receives the glory and thereby people wonder who it is that we serve. And who it is, as I've shared with you before, is the object of our faith. Because faith in faith is stupidity. Faith in hope is idiocy. Faith must have an object. In our case, faith is in the God who created the heavens and the earth. And so tonight, how big a witness is your life of faith? Verse 1 here in Joshua 4. I'm going to read this entire chapter to you as a story. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. And as you remember... The priests are out in the middle of the Jordan. It's at flood stage, perhaps a mile wide. Uh, They're out in the midst of the muck and the mire with the Ark of the Covenant. But they're standing firm in the midst of that muck and mire. Are you standing firm in the midst of the muck and the mire? The priests did that. But the priests can't do it for everybody else. The priests can only do it for the priests and show everyone else what to do. They cannot do it for them. And you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Remember that distance is between six and eight miles. The words translated here, stone or stones, is a word that is used very often to describe building stones. These are not pebbles. 
These are not rocks. These are boulders. And they are likely in excess of 100 pounds. And they're going to carry them for six to eight miles. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever picked up even a 50-pound rock and carried it 100 feet. It's not a pleasant experience if you have low back pain. If you didn't have low back pain, you will have low back pain after the experience of carrying the rock. And then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord of your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you pick up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, that it may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Do you get the picture? You see, what he's really saying is, when your kids ask you about your faith, what are you going to show them? What's going to be left of your faith, my faith, our faith, the faith of the church, the faith of Christians in America, the faith of Christians in Running Spring? What will we be able to point to? And then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it was crossed over by the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. I think you're beginning to understand and see what it is that this chapter is all about. seems kind of weird, but the context is very clear. And the children of Israel did so. They obeyed the word of the Lord. Just as Joshua had commanded and took up the twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them into the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And then Joshua set up the twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan and stood in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant, where it stood... And they are there to this day. It's where the story gets a little strange. So there's two piles of stones. There's going to be one in Gilgal and one in the midst of the Jordan River. Keep that in mind. Twelve stones each. Two piles. One very visible and one invisible. And he goes on to say, And so the priest who bore the ark and stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. And then it came to pass that when the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord, the priest crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, remember the forerunners who got there before the rest of the children of Israel, who had gathered in the area of Transjordan, stood there in their midst. And about 40,000 prepared for war who crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. That would have been a very small amount of the available fighting men. Perhaps a million, maybe two, were in this group of people. And on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him just as they feared Moses all of the days of his life. And then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come from the Jordan. And Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from it and come from the Jordan. And it came to pass that when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry ground, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as once before. And now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal, on the east of the border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, 
When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters. The people didn't build the dam. They didn't pile up the rocks. That's not what did it. It wasn't their doing. There weren't so many that they could just crawl over on each other's backs. The Lord God dried up the river just as he did in the time of Moses when they crossed over the Red Sea. God did it. And they were to tell their children God did it. Not we, not us, him. Just as he did at the Red Sea which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all of the peoples of the earth notice where the witness is supposed to go. This is the witness of our faith. When God does miraculous things in the midst of the body of Christ, we are to give glory to God and then preach like crazy to the world that he did it. Because when we fail to do the latter of those two things, we have missed the opportunity to be able to say categorically, God did something that only God could do. How many of us miss that? How many of us, when we're questioned about our faith, say, well, you know, I just joined the program. You know, I just go to church. If your faith rests in this church, shame on you. If your faith rests in me, double dip and shame on you. <laughs> if your faith is in Calvary Chapel, shame on you. Your faith is in God and only God. Not in any man, not in any program, not in a denomination, not in the world's largest non-denominational, not denomination like us. Our faith is in God. And when God works, we give God the glory and we tell the world about God. That the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That word fear there is not fear like, ooh. It's not scary fear like a Saturday afternoon horror flick that you used to be able to watch because they involved giant ants or spiders. It is to reverence the Lord Most High. To put Him where He belongs. To give Him the honor and the glory due His name. And so the children of Israel has crossed over. And we might say, you know, my second slide, I had a thought there. You know, we might say, so what? It's just a bunch of rocks. Here's the picture. God is at work in you, in me, in us, and everything matters. Everything about your life, my life, our life, the church's life matters. Because you are, we are, what the world sees visibly as a representation of our Lord. Very infrequently do you see on CNN, if you watch that channel, there was an appearance of God today. But you know what you do see? There was a Christian man, there was a Christian woman, there was a Christian company. There was someone who stood for Jesus in the face of adversity. There was a man who wrestled the gun away from an assailant in the family research council offices and prevented a mass murder. There was a Christian who said, no, my God isn't going to allow that. And we give glory to God. Some kind of confuse this rock piling event with another event, and probably all of you remember the Ebenezer Stones. That's not this event. That particular event there in in 1 Samuel actually meant stones of help. It was a place where the Lord helped them. That was not the case here. 
These were memorial stones. God had already done what God was going to do. He had already finished the work he had set out to do. He had proven to the people exactly who he was, how much power he had. And these stones, in essence, were a memorial to the faith that they had placed in God. Because I'll tell you this. I, I don't know how many of you have ever been in a major river. Don't know how many of you have ever been whitewater river rafting. But I can tell you this. When you're in the water, you got zero control over where you're going for the most part. Where the water's going, that's where you're going. Now, you can kind of steer around a little bit. You throw your oar out there, and that's kind of the way our faith works. We get to say, Lord, you know, I'm really kind of wet here. Could you get me over this other side so that I can maybe not drown? But for the most part, the river's going to go where the river's going to go. And that's the miracle here. God stopped something from happening that mankind could not stop. No amount of the children of Israel, each gathering a few rocks and tossing them in the Jordan, would have caused the same effect. The waters would have simply just overflowed the rocks and kept on going. So it was very clear what happened. So this pile of stones in Gilgal, which, by the way, is about six miles or so from the center of where the Jordan currently lies today, if, if you were to mark that distance off, when somebody walked by it, they go, what are this big, huge pile of stones here? It would have probably been three to four feet high at least. It would have been exactly 12. The people in the region knew that the children of Israel had 12 tribes. And there would have been a testimony that would have been very loud and very clear. Look, this is God's pile of rocks. You guys are God's pile of rocks. Now, I kind of like that because my head pretty much is a pile of rocks most of the time. So when somebody sees me do something, I can say, well, it's just a pile of rocks. It's actually a sign that God did something. But God is using that pile of rocks for a purpose. It was a witness to the faith of every single person who passed by. And we want that in our lives. Family of God, we must stand for Christ in these last days. If we won't, I can guarantee you the world's not going to stand for Christ. They're doing everything they can to erase His name right now. We must stand for Christ. And we must be visible. We can't be invisible. And yet there's something that's happened to you that other people can't see. So both of these stone piles are very, very, very uh, much a, a sign of how we live our lives. Because when you gave your life to Christ, it wasn't a visible thing. Amen? But it was a very real thing. Amen? The pile in the river was a very real pile. Amen? But it wasn't visible anymore. Amen? It's still there, though, and it's still real. And so there's an internal work and there's an external work. And that external work is where we are a witness to the world. Healed marriages, drug addictions overcome, people forsaking all manner of sin, financial issues settled by the hand of God. Miraculous healings of every manner of disease. It's unexplainable. Lives lengthened. They're your opportunity to pile up a pile of stones and saying, My God did this right here. This was Him. It wasn't me. It wasn't us. It was Him. We prayed to Him and He did it. The stones of memorial were piled up. One in Gilgal and one in the middle of the river. Now I want to notice you notice that there are two things at work here. They had to have faith that God was going to keep the river back. Amen? Even though it was pretty clear he'd, he'd stopped it, every step was a step of faith. The river was a mile wide. The river was walled up on the other side of the Ark of the Covenant. They could see it. 
They had to have faith that God was at work, but they also had to work with that faith, did they not? Every step across that muddy river bottom was a step of faith. Every inch with those stones on their shoulders was a step of faith. So real faith works. It has the intestinal fortitude to pick up a rock and get going. And so in this beautiful picture, the event that they're undertaking is the promise that was made 40 years earlier at Kadesh Barnea, wasn't it? God says to Moses, there's the promised land. Go in and possess it. And they said, ah, we're not going in. We'd rather wander in the wilderness and have you feed us manna. We don't want to walk by faith. We want to walk by sight. And they deceived themselves, amen? Because God had given them the land. It was theirs then. It took them 40 years to possess it because of a lack of faith. Do not get caught waiting 40 years to go possess what God gave you today. In Jesus' name. Go possess it. Claim it. They were now doing what they were given 40 years earlier. That's a long, long time to wander in the wilderness. Please don't wander in the wilderness. When God says go, go. Let your faith work. And in fact, faith without works, James chapter 2 says, is dead. Amen? And in fact, he goes on to say, Hey, I got an idea. Let me show you my faith by my works. Let me stack up another pile of stones someplace that you can take a look at. You see, very often as Christians, we take that responsibility that we've been given, which ought to lead to a blessing, and we turn it into a curse by failing to be obedient to what God tells us to do. The most miserable Christians on earth are Christians who know what they should do and fail to do it. Who walk in disobedience to the things that God's called them to do. And I think one of the reasons that the church is so uh, tossed right now in many of these social issues that face our, face our daily lives is because we were given boldness and we handed the boldness away and said, well, you know, I don't really know that I want to actually believe exactly what the Bible says. I think I'll make up my own version. I don't really want to walk in faith. I'd rather walk with a plan. So give me 40 days of something. Give me a list of things that I can do and somehow everything's going to be okay. God doesn't work that way. He requires that we walk in faith. That's how He has input into our lives every day. You see, if we don't need Him... We don't need him. Duh. So if you're walking around in your own strength by the arm of flesh, what you're saying is, God, I don't need you. So you can walk with the arm of flesh. But in this case, there was no way to get across that river save God. And they had to trust God. And because they trusted God, they had the responsibility to tell everybody it was God that did it. Not me, not us, not you, God. And so as they crossed over, they're really entering a a new phase in their relationship with God. And you can actually see it in the way things transpire from here on out. We, of course, walk in the age of grace. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If I had to keep the law, I'm dead because I'm a bacon connoisseur. I love shellfish. Can it? Can I have an amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. I would have made a lousy Jew, okay? I just couldn't handle it. I'd have been getting rebuked by every rabbi in town. They're, they're, they're now going to have this wonderful relationship by faith in God. And it really pictures your life and my life in the grace of God. Because they couldn't earn it. Amen? Can you earn your salvation? Not on your life. It's a gift of God. Amen? And it comes to you by faith, and that faith is a gift. 
they were entering, entering a time of blessings that they had not earned. Amen? Are we not the inheritors of the kingdom of God? It's a blessing we have not earned, should not get. They received the mercy of God. What should they have gotten in the wilderness? Really dried up like lizards that died on a hot rock. But instead they got the mercy of God. You remember some of their little incidents that they had throughout the time in the wilderness? Oh, Lord, we want some sweet water. And you bring us to this stupid spring here called Mara, which means bitter. And so what does Moses do? He picks up a tree. What did Jesus hang on? A tree. And he took the tree and threw it into their bitter water and made it sweet. You see the picture? The whole time they were wandering in the wilderness, God was saying, look, I I don't want to be here with you just as the law. I want to have a relationship with you by grace, through faith. But you've got to trust me. And you've got to walk in my ways. With blessing comes responsibility. In the latter years, Gilgal, unfortunately, became not just an important center in the nation of Israel. They crowned their first king there. In First Samuel, you'll see that. Their first king was crowned right next to the pile of 12 stones. That's where it happened. David was welcomed back as, as the ruler after Absalom's rebellion there in 2 Samuel, in Gilgal. Samuel thought it was important enough that he included it on his preaching circuit as the judge. There was a school of prophets there. It was the camp of the Lord for the children of Israel. Did you know what happened to Gilgal later? It became a center of idolatry. It became a place where Ashtaroth and Molech were worshipped. They forgot what God had done in the sight of the pile of stones testifying to the very fact that he had done it. How many Christians carry around a Bible in their car and never read them? And then they get pulled over. And all of a sudden, well, I'm a Christian, brother. Well, you're doing 119 miles an hour. You're going to jail. Oh, come on, man, where's the grace? You had the opportunity for grace. That's called the brake pedal. You see, you can't ask God to bail you out when you tell him to take a hike. One of the problems with our country right now you got Christians praying, oh, God, you know, save the whales. Well, why don't we try saving the babies first? You know, oh, Lord, you know, I mean, come on now. I don't know what's wrong with our economy. Well, why don't we stop spending a billion dollars a year giving it to Planned Parenthood so they can pass out RU486. And it's Christians are saying those things. Christians that won't take a stand on issues that are clear in Scripture. Same thing happened at Gilgal. Pile of stones was right there. First king anointed right there. And yet, we don't care. It's a sad thing for any nation. Their faith needed to get to work. And as you look at this and how far they carried those stones, you would have thought that there would have been a remnant throughout time that would have said, look, guys, we we need to take stock in what's going on here. It's about time that we realize we need to do what we said we were going to do. We told God that we would follow him. We said, O Lord, our Lord, Our God. And now it's your God, his God, their God. You see, we need to be proud proclaimers of the Lord God. 
And by the time we got, which we just left Hosea and Amos, yeah, we studied both those books. We found out that both those prophets pronounced a curse on Gilgal, didn't they? Why? Because in just a couple hundred years, the people had forsaken God. In just a couple hundred years, they'd gone from a place to where they had crossed over to a place they got buried. Not a pleasant sight when a nation loses its witness. It's hard work to build a witness, isn't it? I don't know how many of you have ever thought about it, but just like those stones didn't carry themselves across the Jordan, neither will the monuments of your life be built up in such a way that it's going to be without work. It's going to take work. There are going to be things that you're going to do. But there are monuments to the things that God's done in your life. They come in some pretty odd ways sometimes, don't they? How many of you ever had the experience of somebody asking you what's on your T-shirt? On the back. And then you can't remember what's back there. <laughs> yeah, see some of those hands. What's that T-shirt all about? You're trying to turn it around while you're still wearing it. But you got it at some conference or some camp, or you're wearing a hat from Promise Keepers. Maybe you went to a Women of Faith event and you've got your little pin on. You've got your coffee mug. I've been set free. I went to this conference. And you're pouring a beer into it. Ouch. Get the picture? You see, it could either be a witness, I, I recommitted my life to Christ at this conference, it's awesome! Or, oh, um, wait a second, let me uh, change cups here. There's a lot of Christians that are forced to have the latter of those two views because they polluted the pile. You know what God wants. You refuse to do what God says to do. And so that monument that you've made is now sullied. I was bagging on those wonderful pieces of artwork on Sunday. They're along the 215 and the 10. How long do you think it takes for somebody to come by and tag one of them puppies? Like before they're done pulling down the form boards or some knucklehead over there, you know, gang signs or whatever on it. I don't even know what that means. That beautiful, expensive artwork gets sullied pretty quickly, doesn't it? It takes a lifetime to build a character in Christ and takes a few seconds to destroy it. You need to remember that when you think about your faith, when you think about your witness, when you think about your kids. Remember a couple of weeks on Sunday, for those of you who were here, I was sharing about how horrible hypocrisy is. And kids have a hypocrisy meter built in. It's like they can spot one from like 10 miles away. And so we build up nice stone piles and, oh, I... I just got this beautiful leather, you know, I had my Bible rebound and, you know, and you're sitting there watching some television program in the middle of the night and your children come down to say, hey, you know, I'm not feeling real good and you're trying to figure out how to turn the thing off because you shouldn't be watching it. Shouldn't be on in your house. You see, the witness of our faith needs to be consistent. And it needs to absolutely be spoken to the generations following us. And we need to stop kowtowing to the world. We need to stop changing our viewpoint because the Christian viewpoint is no longer the popular viewpoint. Let me give you a clue. It's still real popular with God. And I'd rather be pleasing to him than with anybody else. And so we need to tell our kids that what God says God means and what God means we're supposed to do. That's the witness of our faith. 
They raised up a heap of stones a number of times in Scripture. They did one at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Two stones, one of blessing, one of cursing. Here's the part of the law. You remember the law? The law was kind of funny because the law had blessings and the law had cursings. If you do this, you'll live, you'll prosper. If you do this, you'll be cursed and you'll die. And so there was stones that you needed to remember that were blessings and stones that you needed to remember that were cursings. And sometimes the monuments in our lives are like that. We can have monuments to say, man, that's where I used to be. But this is where I am now. Hallelujah. Amen? What we used to be. And there's nothing wrong with memorial stones, per se. And in this case, the monument at Gilgal was reminded that the Lord had acted in their behalf. This is where I I brought you into the promise that I made to you. I made good on my promise. Can you say hallelujah to that? Hallelujah. God makes good on every promise. He's not once ever in all of eternity failed on a single promise. Amen? That's our God. If we build a few monuments to the character and nature of God, if we do what our Constitution here in this state actually says, to give honor to the God who gave us the blessings in the first place, but instead we're trying to figure out how to rewrite our curriculum at the, in the public schools to make sure that we include gay history. We don't include heterosexual history, so why do we need gay history? Why? Because it's politically expedient to do so. And Christians ought to be outraged, but instead, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal, because if you love people, you need to tell them the truth. And to lie to them is to hate them. We must stand. We have no choice but to stand. We have to build monuments to the character of God wherever we go. And be willing to say, this this is all I could do. This is my pile of rocks, but this is where God led me in. And be unashamed. Stand firm. We also need to be careful that we don't start worshiping the piles of rocks. Amen? I've seen people that are so stuck in the past they can't move forward. They're back there bowing down to the pile of rocks instead of the God who brought them there. There's lots of things that we can read. Lots of things we can do. But I can tell you this. Every person in this room who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, has a memorial pile of stones that they can share with somebody. Every one of you. Every last one of you. God's taken you out so that he might lead you in. He's taken you out of the world to bring you into blessing. And you have a stone pile to show other people. This is where he did it. I was, I was lost. I was blind and now I see. And this is when God did it. Let me tell you about it. You see, that's your personal story. And, and I can tell you as someone who reads for a living... You can kind of say that about pastors. We actually read for a living. We get paid to read, okay? If you have a pastor who doesn't read, you should get rid of him. (laughs) Nothing else needs to be reading his Bible. But we get paid to read. And we read all kinds of things. Do you take time to read things that can help you communicate the goodness of God? so that you'll have something to say? Are you studying to show yourself an approved workman, rightly dividing the word of truth? You see, because it's that simple. Some people will say, well, I don't really have a testimony. 
you don't have to be dipped in the sewage of this world to have a testimony. Can I tell you that? Well, you know, my testimony, I never murdered anyone. You know, I've had people tell me that. Well, I've never really, you know, never done this or never done that. Praise God that you're not marked up. Praise God that your life is, is maybe cleaner than some of the rest of us who've gone through a handful of things in our lifetime that we're, un, we're very ashamed of. But I guarantee you this, you've got a unique pile of stones that you can tell somebody about. A place where God brought you in after bringing you out. Something that God did in your life. I want to end tonight. I want to share with you a story. It actually began in the Korean War in 1950 at the Incheon Reservoir. November 20th of 1950, the Korean War was raging. There was communist troops that were invading uh, a community that had many, many Christians in it. And a young man named Kim Duk-soo was in that community. As the troops came in, His father had been the administrator of a hospital in that town that's in South Korea now. It was just Korea then. And as the Christians began to flee further and further south in hopes that the United States and the Japanese and those that were fighting on the side of the largely Christian population to rescue them, as the communists invaded, they came into the village where this young man's Father had served as a pastor in the same church for 42 years. When they heard the soldiers coming, he began to recount his words or these. When I heard the soldiers coming, I was sure that we'd be killed. He said with his eyes filling up with tears as he still tells this story today, my daddy told me that we couldn't lie to save our lives. Kim's father had pastored a church for 42 years, and he actually had hidden his wife and his children underneath sacks of rice and then covered the sacks of rice with dirt. They could only stand there, as you can imagine, for so long. Sacks of rice are pretty heavy. Finally, Kim uncovered himself, believing that uh, the communists had left the area. The troops finally then approached the house and He and his father ran back into the yard, into the root cellar. And he said, God, if you get me out of this root cellar, I will serve you all the days of my life. As you might imagine, the soldiers found him. Told him to took off their garments and they sent him to a makeshift prison where they were supposed to be executed the following morning. That evening, a captain approached the young Kim, who was at the time just nine years old. And he looked at the little boy and he said, are you a Christian? And for a moment, he thought about lying about it. He thought in his own mind, pretty logical, I'll just tell him no. And then he remembered his father's instruction, whom he had watched for 42 years Live a life of faith. Not knowing where their next meal was coming from, and yet somehow God always brought it. Not knowing where their shoes would come from, but somehow they always had them. And he said, yes, I'm a Christian. The captain drew up close to him and he whispered to him, I'm a Christian too. I'll help you. Took Kim and his father out that night under heavy guard, pretending that he was taking to shoot them, which was common. I don't like these guys, I'll just kill them myself. Young Kim reached an American army base, and while hanging around inside of a makeshift church, he'd never seen an organ in his life. And he began to tinker with it and found out that he was actually a prodigy at the organ. He could play virtually anything, having heard it once. An American captain took note of that, a Captain Shoemaker, realized he had incredible musical gifting, ordered a spinet organ from the United States, and for the next ten years, 
Kim played at that little Presbyterian church as a church organist. He went on to become the administrator of Tegu Presbyterian Hospital. And to this day, he still plays the organ, except now he has a choir of about 2,000 people accompanying him. It's the second largest church in the world. And he said this just recently. He said, I should have been killed. The communists found me. But God sent me into that prison cell to meet with a guard to expose the gifts that God had given me. And so every time I play the organ, I play the organ for God. So maybe your pile of rocks is an organ. Maybe your pile of rocks is a personal testimony. Maybe your pile of rocks is yet to reveal itself. But I guarantee you this. You have a pile of rocks. And it is the witness of your faith. Share it. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, tonight we... First, we ask you to forgive us, Lord, when we, when we stumble over our faith. God, there are times when we have opportunity and we don't tell our children. Lord, we don't speak to those that we see and know of the good things that you've done in our lives. Maybe we take credit for it ourselves. Maybe we just ignore it. And so, God, help us to have more faith. Help us to be stretched and to grow. Pray that you would bless us, Lord, with a testimony of you that we can share. God, when people ask and inquire of the hope that we have, God, that we would have the ability to communicate what that hope is. Lord, we thank you for saving us by grace, giving us the faith to believe. Pray that you would make us a stronger witness in our world. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.